Love poem. Sometimes I wonder if I would know a beautiful thing if I saw it. So often I was miserable when I was young, even in California, with the ocean close and fat seals munching flatfish, tonguing urchins in their molars, sunning themselves pink by the sandy primrose. I ignored the whistle of the rock-faced mountain and her chorus of dry hills, walked past the blazing stars and lemons and dramatic ripe. I was so sad out west. The truth is I am most exquisite on the East Coast, meaning I am in rhythm. I do not track the world by beauty, but joy. That first bite into the soft carrot of tagine stew while a storm wailed over the East River. The misfit raccoon bouncing on the trash bins in Central Park after we saw a Japanese play. We almost crashed a wedding that night at the boathouse, but lost our nerve. We were not dressed for the caper, but even this felt like rogue joy. Yes, it was joy, wasn't it? Even if it was ugly, it was joy. From Radio Kismet, this is the American Poetry Review. I'm Talia Geiger. Stephen Kleinman. And I'm Elizabeth Scanlon, and this is the American Poetry Review podcast. And I would be completely remiss if we did not talk about some of Megan Fernandez's poems, uh, one of which we just heard, uh, her poem, Love Poem. Um, And I just, I I wanted to jump off there today because that, that ending, even if it was ugly, it was joy, has stuck with me for many months now. Um, It's such a great poem. I love its discussion of the difference between the East Coast and the West Coast. (laughs) I uh, lived on the West Coast for a year after college and um, being from Philadelphia. Yeah, where were you? Where were you? Were you in California? I was in Seattle for exactly 365 days. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. um, And, uh, you know, it's just so funny that this line, I do not track the world by beauty, but joy resonates about something about that experience with me. I remember I had this great moment where someone said, but don't you just love the mountains? Mm-hmm. And I completely lost it. Oh, no. You know, I was 22 and struggling. Were you and, like, no, I don't. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, I love them, but I want somebody to like be mean to me. Right. It's like what I miss. Well, so. that's actually, I mean, I think the poem is getting at that as well, right? It's like it's more about who we are in those environments, right? Yes. Like it's not inherently West Coast or East Coast. It's like how we exist in those spaces. Absolutely. Right? Um, especially on the East Coast, we have this way of like being mean on like the surface, but also being like really nice on the inside. Like right. some people can't fully understand that if they're from the West Coast, they're just nice all right it's like way. we're not really close if we're not talking shit right yeah, right it's exactly. like that's like very... and 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 i think she gets it just right here the misfit raccoon bouncing on trash bins in central park <laughs> yes it's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> i could tell you all of my raccoon stories like uh one time i was away actually at a writing conference and my now wife this was right after we moved into our house sent me this picture that they're were two baby raccoons that had decided to nest in one of the boxes that we had yet to break down <laughs> on our front porch. So she went to walk out of the house and there's baby raccoons right, right in front of the door. Right. 
They're up close and personal in Philly. I feel like raccoons and possums too. That I think before I lived in Philly, I was not like as in touch with possums everywhere. <laughs> like they're really out here. <laughs> I, I think that this discussion just gets at the joy that like the true joy of that this poem has that even we're kind of excited talking about mm-hmm. these little yeah. details in it. Mm-hmm. It's just like life in its smallest bits of like just finding weird animals. Like I used to take pictures of um, squirrels finding things out of trash cans like <laughs> Cheez-Its and yes. cheese curls. I had like a little collection of this and it right. was kind of funny. Like just squirrel scores in the yeah. trash cans. <laughs> but it was a joy to me just to be able to see life being itself right yeah right i think too that this um this group of poems that we have uh from megan fernandez in the Magian issue um really moved me and excited me in part because uh there's a lot of content here about coming through the pandemic right a lot of um reflection on one of them is called autumn in new york 2020 um the poet and the nurse beggars and choosers um there are poems here that I think will for many years to come I was going to say a year from now but I, I actually really believe 10 years from now and, and beyond um, will stand as a document of of what this past year mm-hmm. was was like like what what happened in our um, in our lives and uh, that's that's special I think that's really uh, valuable because they're about coming through difficulty they're not they're not just markers of the pandemic. They're markers right. of, you know, that are using the pandemic in really interesting ways. Right. It's not a documentary mode. That's, yeah, that's not what I mean. But rather that it's it's capturing something of the awareness of mortality and the ways that we uh, sort of braided that into our imaginary lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and on that note, also, I wanted to, before we... Uh, uh, moved on from May, June, we also had this amazing poem from Gabrielle Bates called Salmon uh, in this issue, which is is working in a mode that I kind of thought of as pre-elegy. If that's not, I mean, if, if, if one could say that our Maybe our whole our whole lives are pre-elegy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stammering over that idea, but um, it's... Uh, in this poem, she uh, she sort of reflects on the idea of what what do we the imaginative exercise of like what do we imagine we say after someone has died, even before they have died, we're we're thinking about this, right? How will I remember this? How do I place myself in the future, um, not knowing what that's going to feel like, but knowing that there will be a moment that I have to speak about it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I think that there's something, yeah, there's something, there's something to that, uh, to that exercise of thought that I found, uh, really moving and interesting. I loved one couplet, especially the super penultimate. Is that the right term? <laughs> Let's go with it. You can say next to last too, but I, I don't mean, know. it's less pretentious. Yeah. You just really want to bring all the fancy. <laughs> We dip our chopsticks into a horseradish paste dyed green and called wasabi. Mm-hmm. It's an image that is totally about what we know 
as a thing, but also no is not truly that thing. Exactly, right. And there's several instances of that in this poem where it's like, here's what we call it and here's what it is. Here's what we call it and here's what it is. Like, he's my father, but he's also my mother. He is, you know, this is a salmon sushi roll, but it's not maybe really salmon. (laughs) You know, and and at its heart is, is this, right after that comes this really key phrase or uh, clause I I know his regrets mm. is it a poem that's going to celebrate this character or is going to talk about this character's weaknesses and of course mm. it's both mm-hmm. and he had he had weaknesses he had strengths um, like you said this is what we call it and this is what it really was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. gets at the complexity of of people right Yes, this poem is so succinct, and I found it difficult to think of anything else to say about it because it just it's it has so much depth mm-hmm. within so few lines. It just wraps everything up very perfectly. So, well, I'm I'm glad that you felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, I think we have we're, we'll have an opportunity to to listen to Gabrielle Bates reading the poem. Uh, as well, which will be really nice. Salmon. My father and I sit at a sushi bar in my new city, sampling three different kinds of salmon nigiri. He tells me about a great funeral speech he recently heard a son give for his father. The speech was structured around regrets everyone assumed the father didn't have, interspersed with hilarious stories involving boys driving the family van and fishing mishaps. The ivory salmon is pale and impossibly soft. The sliver of steelhead, orange enough to pretend it's salmon. How else to say it? I am my father's only child, and he is my mother. We dip our chopsticks into a horseradish paste, dyed green and called wasabi. I know his regrets. I could list them. But instead, at his funeral, I will talk, if I can talk, about nights like this. How good it felt just to be next to him, to be the closest thing he had. So then jumping ahead uh, into into the July-August issue with the amazing Tomas Q. Maureen on the cover, um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that he is a former APR Honickman First Book Prize winner. Um, some years ago, I think it was 2012, maybe? That, uh, I forget what year. But uh, uh, we published his first book, A Larger Country. Um, but these poems in the new issue are from his forthcoming book, Machete. Um, and as Stephen pointed out to me when we were first going through this issue together, he was like, you got a lot of dads going on in this one. <laughs> You're not wrong, Stephen. That we have a lot of dad stuff going on in this one. You know, we're just we're just past 
Father's Day, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's the season. There's also some moms in this issue. Well, true. And, man, yeah, moms, dads, parents, daughters, sons. It's all, it's, it's a lot of family stuff coming together here, uh, the energy of this issue. Um, so there's this long poem in here, Two Dolphins. Mm-hmm. And of Tomas Marines. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and um, it's just wonderful. Um, it ends with a, a Bill Murray quote from The Life Aquatic. <laughs> um, I guess it's a quote of The Life Aquatic, but I think of Bill Murray whenever poetry is involved. <laughs> but you know what's really great about this poem is that um, the way that masculinity can be investigated from the position of a father mm-hmm. where it where it brings vulnerability into masculinity mm-hmm. and i don't think that's part of the discussion mm-hmm. you know we talk about the problems of masculinity quite often but fatherhood really is an opportunity right um and i see i i see it in this work where he's struggling i mean the, the you know in the poem the poem is is struggling with ideas of i know how to do this i don't know how to do mm-hmm. this you know, mm-hmm. um, the vulnerability and the domesticity, right? That this is in some ways also very much in the in the tradition of Philip Levine, right? That it's it, it is so concerned with the work of parenting and that there is so there are so many tasks to every um, aspect of that relationship, especially when your kids are babies, right? That it's like, there's diapering and bathing and clothing and feeding and washing and this and then Mm -hmm. that and then the next. And all of that is kind of um, present in this poem while, while yes, while also coming from a very masculine place and like um, uh, just uh, running those parallel tracks, I guess is what I'm trying to say, or, or looking at how they intersect. Okay, so I have a, uh, uh, th- maybe this is related to that, but it's also, um, I don't know, it's too insider baseball to ask about couplets. <laughs> couplets? We can talk about couplets? Well, if uh, not here, then where can we talk about couplets? Come on. I, I was wondering about this and in, in, in this, actually just listening to you talk about um, the experience of being a parent and the relationship of the parent to the child and that this huge poem what is it six columns almost six columns long uh of and written all in couplets yeah exactly yeah written all in couplets what do you think that the relationship is between the couplet form here and the job of being a parent well, I mean, I, I do think that as a formal choice, it like breaks everything down into these small units, right? In a in a way that feels really resonant to me as uh, when you are, I mean, granted, there are, this is true of other kinds, kinds of work as well. But I think that when you're parenting and especially small children, you're breaking everything down into these units of time, right? Mm-hmm. Because everything is so consuming that it's like you're, you're almost measuring out your days like, okay, it's this long till nap time. It's this long till they need to eat. Then there's going to be another diaper. Then there's going to, you know, all of those things. Um, and there's just the, the visual tension of how it, those lines kind of dance together, right? It's like every line has a partner. Mm-hmm. And it's very, um, um, yeah, I'm not sure how else you would say that other than partnered, that it's a, a, it's a dyad. 
it seems to speak to the idea of saying something and then contradicting it as well <laughs> that happens in this poem. Uh, early on in the poem, he writes, um, I just invented that six lines ago I wrote next to words when what I meant to write was next to pictures, mm -hmm. which, you know, is a, is a great mistake, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, you can't see that in the studio I'm doing quotes. <laughs> um, we get it. it of, a, of a mistake, but but I, I don't know, I didn't notice it on any read of the poem mm. that um, next to words doesn't make sense. What mm -hmm. he means is next to pictures, right? It's like the, there are so many mistakes that are possible that Mm -hmm. that he's almost, you know, just ultra focused on. Mm -hmm. So self-aware. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also the couplets, I think, serve, they're so small and there's so many of them that it's exhausting, <laughs> which can be related to being a parent and having so many tasks to do. Clean diaper, check. Food, burp, <laughs> check and check. Maybe not in that order. <laughs> I love that line. Yes, but these, I mean, these poems begin the issue. We then also have these amazing poems um, from uh, Donica Kelly's new book, The Renunciations, um, that, that again, uh, or, or, or from, from the perspective of the child, then reflects on fatherhood and the, the idea of, like, who is this character that is, like, the father in, in someone's life, right? At the end of this poem... Danica writes, he asks... Which one then, are you on? Oh, sorry. My father visits the Oracle before oh, yes. I am born. Uh -huh. um, and there's these two redacted, again, in couplets. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you make of that decision? What's redacted in that poem? Well, I think it's, I mean, I think it's evocative of, like, the, the idea of the Oracle, right? That, uh, that anything that you're that you're going to this kind of occult figure to to receive knowledge from isn't going to give you a straight answer right like you're not going to just get you know um the mm -hmm. the instruction manual you're going to get some sort of um uh interpretive <laughs> riddle <laughs> um that's one that's one reading of it right or no, or I love it it, or the, it doesn't matter it yeah. does right right i mean it can also be read, I think, as a fill in the blank, right? I mean, it's not, it's it's the idea of the father figure and the oracle figure would exist differently for for everyone, maybe. But yeah, I do, I do find that to be a a, a cool move in the poem that it like right when you think that it's like this is where the answer would be, the answer is a lacuna. Um, See, lacuna. I'm not the only one who can come with the pretentious <laughs> words. Today. Okay, fine. You got me. Isn't it interesting that we have Donica Kelly's poems, we have Tomas Q. Maureen's poems, and we have Matthew Dickman's poems. They're all uh, coming out before these really exciting books. Mm -hmm. I think people are... I, I'm personally excited about all of these books mm -hmm. that, are, that are coming out from... And, they're also um, uh, sort of generational, generationally becoming the middle career poets in American poetry um, to different extents. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting that there are these, that there's this focus on parenthood mm -hmm. 
that's coming out uh, in, in them. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, I, I, I'm remembering, Stephen, that you had asked earlier, um, off mic, uh, something about the idea of when we see all these parenting poems together, both both as poets becoming parents or poets reflecting on their experience of being uh, children, that that there's this question in the air of like, is the mother or the father in the poem ever really explicitly the mother or the father? Or are like, what are they functioning as mm-hmm. like in the poem, right? Um, tell me more about that. Well, I think the original question that I was, that I was thinking of that, that kind of caught me was if a father can exist in a poem and not either be celebrated mm. or criticized mm-hmm. looking at Gabrielle Bates poem from the last issue which did both mm-hmm. right so then um, then the I think the logical or the problem with that question was when we talk about a parent does the poem become about the parent or you know are parents able to just be figures you know um, if you for instance sorry mom <laughs> kill your mother 14 times in a poem <laughs> I think I just have to own that I did that <laughs> and apologize over and over and over again. Um, well, but also, I mean, like, that's like a classic example of like, this is not necessarily my mother <laughs> or my father, but this is like an imaginative, you know. Well, I mean, you know, and my mom does listen to the podcast. So I'll just <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> so I wrote a poem called My Mother's Many Deaths in which every friend of mine from my entire life becomes me. And right. then I just write about all of our lives together. That was right. the project of it, right? Mm-hmm. So then my mom says, after reading this poem, well, I know that this one was me. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm just going to... The the interesting thing was that, no, she was completely wrong. But, of mm. course, the whole poem was about her. Right. Well, it and also, how gift, else is you know, she going or, to read it? Right, right. right. <laughs> how could you hold out like that? How can that? you not? Yeah. And what, maybe the the... The great thing about these Matthew Dickman poems is that they are so expressly about the speaker. Mm, yes. That like the the role of the father here is about getting to the speaker's anxiety. Well, right. And like as it stands in contrast to maybe the marine poems that we were looking at earlier, it's like these fatherhood poems are very much steeped in like the experience of anxiety. Whereas maybe the marine poems are showing a side of fatherhood that is more um, concerned with, or on one level concerned with, the making of meaning, right? And so those things are are related but on separate tracks. And I think um, in concert in this issue, I hope, do something really beautiful in like expressing that, that um, um, just the diversity of that experience, right? Of, of what fatherhood, uh, how it lands uh, for different people. And interestingly enough on that, on that uh, train of thought, the marine poems are, are about, or the one in particular is about building a crib. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the end of the animal kingdom from Dickman is teach them not to destroy others, even though, of course, I will and they will. Mm-hmm. locked in as we are and free as any other animal. It's destruction. There's destru- It's like knowing mm-hmm. 
that there's a moment of destruction coming. Right, but I also love the the Turner phrase or the the ending there of of locked in and free. That like the duality of that awareness is um, is is so potent to me. You know, Absolutely. I think yeah. I just um, I think too that we we see in this issue um, lots of other little glimmers of awareness. Like even there's in these Ray Armentrout poems, we have um, there's a, a small poem called Two Things, which I'm actually, I'm feeling compelled just to read it right now because it, it brings us into this baby moment too. Um, two Things goes like this. Babies love things. If they didn't, they would never learn to crawl. I was lost, but now I find myself thinking, disappointing seagull. <laughs> I just, I love that. I love that poem. I mean, it, it, it encapsulates like this really from A to Z there, right? Like in the whole sort of gamut of perception mm-hmm. um, going from the, the nascent idea of like, oh, that's a thing that is outside myself, right? All the way up to now I'm bored with it. <laughs> Disappointing seagull. I have, I have a special request for Talia, though, too, because I, um, I love these Daisy Freed poems that we have in this issue as well. Another person with a wonderful book coming out very soon uh, and one of our beloved Philadelphians. Um, but this poem called Bad Daughter. Talia, would you read Bad sure. Daughter for me? Absolutely. Thank you. It's my own mother I think of when in the hot car it hurts me to watch my painstaking girl return from the water ice kiosk balancing three lemon ices in a four-hole tray, plastic spoons fanned in her fist, wad of napkins wedged between the ices when a gust makes the napkins riffle, then gambling lift off like and unlike ones that went before. Fair girls in festival dresses dancing up the street, leaving her at the curb in flip-flops and sweatshorts, looking through the car window to see if I'm mad. It's so great. Thank you. <laughs> um, this is a wonderful poem. Yeah. It really, I mean, the, the vivid... Yeah, the vivid image is 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 so strong here. Also, for the non-Philadelphians uh, who don't know about water ice, water ice is also called Italian ice <laughs> in other places. I don't know. Do, does everyone know about water ice? I think it, it's just important to say it's called Italian ice and everywhere that it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the other words for it are because in my life, it's even it's always been the other words are other things yeah i guess guess they are the other things but it is it is an icy summer treat you know and the poem is is one sentence which Mm -hmm. is important Mm -hmm. i think for this poem it reminds me so much of the great k ryan short Mm -hmm. poem yes niagara falls yeah where you know the whole time of course is called niagara falls what's going to happen they're going to go over the falls. <laughs> and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And here we have um, this brilliant opening. It's my own mother I think of. And then I'm going to tell you a story about my daughter. Right, something that's not about my mother at all. Mm-hmm. Or is it? Right, Right. the whole time. <laughs> and 
who has this tray of drinks and we know what's going to happen the whole mm-hmm. time they're going to fall mm-hmm. it has such great momentum because mm-hmm. it is just one big sentence mm-hmm. well and also it gives us that title right which is like uh like a nasty little judgment from the start mm-hmm. which then is completely undone by the innocence of the of the poem right and i think also gets back to you know what uh, Stephen had brought up earlier about the idea of like, is the mother or the father in the poem ever the mother or the father, or are they just there to be judged or to be the one doling out judgment or to be the figure representing our our uh, our projections, right, of wrongness or rightness? Do you get the sense that the daughter here is the speaker's daughter, or is it the speaker? Well, of course, right. The mother and the daughter and the mother and the daughter. I, I yeah. read it completely as the speaker's daughter at first. And mm-hmm. then by the end of the poem, I'm going, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Right. It's mm-hmm. about that relationship and mm-hmm. looking through the, the window to imagine the speaker's mother and that she's the bad daughter. So there's some movement in this very tight, simple space. Yes. Right, of course, and and to and to get and to get to the the heart of like who is the bad daughter, like right. that that no one is, <laughs> or that or that it presents the the uh, the riddle of like is one the bad daughter by even thinking of the parent in this way, right? Um, by uh, by yes. by sort of betraying that like you are aware of being judged or that you're aware of thinking that you're always judged um, yeah it, it goes it goes around and around I love that reading that that the 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 bad daughter is actually the speaker here for even bringing up the idea of right. her mother's <laughs> failure because of course you know well, not of course, but parents make so many mistakes because there's just so many opportunities for mistakes. And it's like, you know, as a child myself, I remember all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I have a notebook. That's right. I've marked them down. <laughs> a catalog of wrongs <laughs> by Stephen. Um, I mean, I think I think too that uh, uh, we were we were talking earlier about uh, some of the great parenting poems. Uh, in our memory that like Robert Hayden's uh, like those winter Sundays stands out in my memory as a poem that um, is is sort of self-chastising, right? That sets the father up as this figure of like ultimate um, self-sacrifice and martyrdom and, and ends on this note of like, what did I know um, of those? Is it austere and lonely offices, right? right. Um, and I mean, it's a killer poem. It's a, it's it's one of the greats of all time, in my opinion. But it it um, it stands in that place of of reverence, right? Which also isn't a person. It's like all of those all of those ideas about whether the parent is a hero or is a sinner or is a failure. Like they're all constructs, yeah. Right. Um, what, for that reason, I think one of my favorite parent poems mm-hmm. of all time is uh, we are we've already been discussing Matthew Dickman, but mm-hmm. part time work, mm. uh, which is a a poem about smoking a cigarette with you know the speaker and their mother on the porch, and then they go inside at the end of the poem to put in their coffee what will kill them, Peach. <laughs> and what I love about the poem is that they're they're existing together. Where is that Where is that one from? Is that from? Um... 
Is it Wonderland? Yes. Yeah. Wonderland. Is it in Wonderland? Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. A t- a, yes. A title which in my head is always Wonder What. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't include that, Joey. <laughs> Sorry. So, Elizabeth, I have a question for you. Yes. One of the really exciting things about this new issue is this poem, Dreaming of the Great American Poem. Oh, right. Yes. Which has... Uh, uh, I'm not going to count them, a lot of authors. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what this is and, and tell folks about it a little bit? I am glad you asked. I um, received this sequence uh, of poems from Eleanor Wilner, the great Eleanor Wilner, um, who, you know, little, I don't actually, I don't know if it's little known, but it was uh, something that was long enough ago that maybe not everyone knows. Eleanor was once an editor of the American Poetry Review uh, back in the in the early days, in the 70s. Um, so so her roots with us are, are deep as well. But uh, she was taking a part in this in this sort of collective of poets this this continuum of friendship for many years uh they call it dreaming of the great american poem um and as eleanor explained to me when she when she sent the the sort of dossier of poems uh is that they began in 2013 uh and and were passing along uh one poem at a time uh a link in a chain to the next poet on the list, right? And I think that uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, that each poet uh, just chose the next person in line on their own uh, prerogative entirely. So no one knew who was like receiving it next, like right? A popcorn reading. <laughs> yes, right. Um, and it's I really I really think it's such a a beautiful sequence of poems representing so many different um, sort of styles and aesthetics. Um, Eleanor is in here, of course, David Lehman, uh, Jesswinder Bolina, Evie Shockley, D.A. Powell, uh, who else? Alicia Ostriker, Jim Cummins, Maureen Seaton. It goes on and on. Denise uh, Duhamel is in here. Um, it's, a, it's a great group of uh, poets, and, and it just... Uh, I, yeah, I think that having it, having it begin seven or eight years ago and then kind of land uh, mid-pandemic uh, uh, felt really hopeful and, and generative mm-hmm. to me. Um, uh, and just a, a, a real reminder that like we can we can be in touch with one another as friends, but as as poets and as writers um, in ways that don't necessarily have anything to do with the internet or anything to do with um, um, though we have published them here it wasn't necessarily a a goal of publishing something it was um, a project between friends it's really an amazing document mm-hmm. and it 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 just seems resonant with the work of editing and yeah uh, putting together you know a document that is American poetry mm-hmm it's yeah. magnificent. <laughs> yeah. The American Poetry Review is a Radio Kismet podcast. For more about Radio Kismet, go to radiokismet.com. Please follow APR on all your social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we would love to see you there.